0: Hello and welcome to Profiles, I'm Carson Mulligan. Tune in for a story about 10 days in silence, how I found out, what it was like, and if it might be for you. Please enjoy. And he had this interesting outlook on philosophy as something that every individual creates himself or herself or itself or their self. And he told me about India and he told me about meditation. Now, the fourth week of classes had just concluded, and I'll never forget it was Saturday. Now, I left the lake from the building where we had class. It was a three-hour entrepreneurship seminar with the famous professor, Richard Robinson. This guy is the absolute goat. Um, whatever portion this segment does justice to him is not doing justice to him. He's the best professor I've ever had. And particularly because we would show up to these seminars and he would tell us that everything else means nothing when you compare it against sleep and diet and meditation. And I'd heard about these things obviously before. I'd heard about meditation before. But... I was really interested in the meditation part about him and the diet part i'll just give you these quick as freebies thanks um rich for these but for diet really quickly he just said double the amount of greens you eat don't eat anything after six or seven skip breakfast if you can that's his way you can skip other meals if you want he only eats five days a week Okay, which I thought was absolutely amazing. And he did this thing called Vipassana, which is a 10-day silent retreat. And you go to this place. You meditate for 10 hours a day. There's no pen, no paper, no notebook, no drink, no communication with the outside world, no nothing. And I'm dumbfounded, right? He tells me this, and I say, there's no way that anybody can do that. And I asked him more, and he laughs. He laughs and he said he was focused on his nose, right? The sensations on his nose for 3 days straight. And I said, "Dude, no way." I laughed. He laughed. Class was over. He rushed out, so did I. And I went to the lake. And that night there's my buddy, Elari, the Finn. And I say, "Elari, man, what is it that this guy is telling me about this ten-day retreat? And he laughs in his uh, in his way. He's a tall guy. He's like six foot four, six foot five. Um. Really nice guy. He's got blue eyes. He's really tall, skinny guy. Really smart, but a really good listener. Right. Like when he's listening to you, it almost feels like. Like Shunryu Suzuki. I read a passage from him this morning in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. It kind of talks about the art of listening. And, and and Ilari is a great listener, I think. If he does want to be a clinical psychologist, whatever he does want to be in his life, his his listening skills will help. So he tells me, to my great amazement, that he has also been to one of these retreats. And... I was like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, this guy mentions it today in class. You mention it tonight around the lake. Now you're telling me he went to one in Hong Kong. You went to one in England. Now you're telling me the author of Sapiens. You've all know Harari does this like 60 days a year. Um, I later find out that the Twitter CEO guy did it. um, The 10-day retreat. And... I'll never forget how he speaks to me about this place. So he tells me about it, and he says, you know, it was a great experience. I liked it. But never during the conversation did he ever push on me that that I should apply. He never even mentioned it. And I asked him a couple days later, maybe, maybe that night, I don't remember, if I should apply. And what he said was, If you feel like you need to do it or that you want to do it, you should, but you should never feel like anybody is making you do it. And I was just taken aback by the silent thing. And I asked him all these questions, you know, can you look at anybody? Should you look at anybody? Can you talk at all? What about the discourse? Can you talk to the teacher? Does the teacher talk to you? Who's speaking? All this stuff. And he pretty much says, you know, if you want to apply, you should do it. You shouldn't think that I am making you apply. It's also free. It seems a little cultish, but that's okay. Accept that. And if you feel like you need to leave at any point, then leave. And I took that, I looked up the program, I found a date that worked for me, I applied. Later I find out that I was accepted. And that's where I was in Hong Kong, looking up this gravel road. So I get to this gravel road, it's white gravel, right? It looks like they just picked up a piece of that prison that I'd seen along my way and had all the prisoners bang it up with sledgehammers and make this into this beautiful little white gravel path that winds up in this hillside through a little bit of jungle to another tall fence right it almost looks like i'm entering into the prison and it's another white building with concrete and stucco apparently um, there's one architect or one builder or maybe that's just what they have i don't know if it's limestone um but it looks kind of like the prison and I enter through this gate, the windows are all open, and it's Hong Kong, we're at fair altitude, it's January, beautiful time to do it there in Hong Kong, and 70 degrees, and I'm walking in there with my stuff, knowing that uh, that night I will begin the 10 days of silence. So... In there, I walk in, and there's a nice old woman sitting at a plastic table. She gives me a smile, a nod, a packet, a pen, another smile. And there's some other people in there filling out some paperwork. Girls, boys, men, women, old, young, the works. Someone's selling toilet paper there for uh, like a dollar a roll. You're supposed to bring your own. I buy a roll and um it's built into the side of a hill right so there's this first building and you walk up to the left on this steep incline and i mean a steep incline like i don't know how to gauge incline with degrees but we're talking about an incline okay walk up the steep incline and go down these stairs to the male dorms and they gave me a number it was my bed number you walk in um and there on the right um well you walk in there's concrete floors the windows are all open the sides of the walls are kind of like a cheap put up like uh like a beige color or something kind of smells like a new building everything looks new and uh there's maybe 30 beds in this dorm and they're all made of uh plywood and two by fours cut and made into these cots with um like a two inch pad under them and that's not very uh unique out there in asia as anybody who's lived out there knows they don't uh use mattresses like we do here in the West, right? They they like firm mattresses. They think that soft mattresses are bad for your back. Some people sleep on the floor. Um, but for this meditation retreat, it's actually a part of the rules that you can't have beds that are high or comfortable or anything because you'll always want to go to your bed. So the, it actually works out pretty well. The bed is nice, but go there, set my stuff down. And there's a kid there. And I say he's a kid, but he's probably just a little bit younger than me. He's the only guy who actually left the program before uh it was over and i know a guy who did this vipassana program in hong kong in the summertime okay and he said there was way more people that left and partially maybe because it was so hot while he was there so There's this kid, right? The Hong Kong kid, 22, 23, uh, pudgy guy sitting on his bed. And he looks up at me and his eyes are tired. He looks like he's been up for a few days. And he puts his head back into the pillow and I walk over to him. And we're allowed to talk at this point. He, he and I are the only two people there. <clears throat> I ask him how he's doing. He acts like he doesn't understand. He uh, says something in Cantonese. I reply back something in Mandarin. We talk a little bit in Chinese and uh, kind of pat him on the back and say, All right, uh, good luck. And about that time, one of the assistant teachers walks in and asks for me. And he says that I have my interview with the teacher. I'm like, oh, that was quick. Uh, walk out with him. And I remember it was so bright when I walked out of that dorm outside again. It's like the concrete is all white. The sun is kind of beating down, and we're walking to another building that's all white. And there's the teacher, right? And you'll never believe – it's like something out of a movie who this guy is. Um, but he's sitting on this table, and the table has a white tablecloth on it. He's wearing an all-white kind of meditation jumpsuit, right? He's got a, a, a lanky shirt and uh, white pants white shirt, white pants. He's got a long white beard. He's a Chinese guy with long white hair. I mean, he looks like the guy from the Laozi memes. Right. And I just I I have this moment where I can't believe that I'm there. And he has me sit down in this chair and he has me listen. And he says, whatever you think you know about meditation, forget it. Forget everything you think you know. And Just listen to me this week as I speak and you'll be fine and I say thank you and I leave and I think to myself Wow, I'm in great hands um, I get back to The uh, the entrance of the dorm and some more people have showed up and now I read some BuzzFeed article or some business insider article before I went right and it was this person talking about their experience at Vipassana, what they had experienced, especially by way of meeting some of the people that they went with, um, and then how their their ideas of those people kind of progressed over the course of the 10-day experience, especially the dichotomy with the people that they met and the people that they did not meet so there's two distinct groups of people on this thing just to uh, give you a little bit of background there's about 20 men and there's about 40 to 50 women and you're not allowed to you obviously live in different dorms you eat in different areas you meditate on different sides of the halls there's no intermingling there and obviously um, as a rule there's no communication with anybody anyway um So we get to the point where other people start to show up. I'm thinking about this Business Insider article because the person who wrote the article said that he was worried that everybody who was going to show up would be a hippie. Um, He was surprised when nobody was a hippie. He starts writing down all these profiles of people who were obviously not hippies. And guys start rolling in and I'm laughing to myself thinking, oh, wow, we don't have any hippies either and in walks a hippie and i start talking with this guy and he tells me his name's raw i'm like man that's cool and he's one of those guys that you don't ask where he's from right you ask where he's traveling to and he's a traveler guy you can tell he's got a big backpack on skinny guy he uh, looks like he's in great shape he's like in his late 20s early 30s Long hair, he's got like a soul patch. Sounds cool, and I'm just getting along with this guy. We are hitting it off, and I'm laughing at myself. Like, man, I was wondering if there was gonna be any hippies here. There is a hippie here. He seems like he's my best friend now. Another guy chimes in, we start talking. Some Hong Kong guy shows up, he starts talking. Um, I remember after the program, this Hong Kong guy had like tattoos. Um, one of the guys that I met and then later had dinner with after the program was laughing, reflecting that the Hong Kong guy, he thought he might have been a cop, like a Hong Kong cop. Turns out he um, went to Oxford and is an investment banker in Shanghai. Um, So we're kind of getting to know these guys. A lot of people are saying, okay, I don't have any meditation experience. Some people say I do. Some people say, okay, I've been here before. And there's this other guy kind of like walking around on this catwalk above us Like this, that hill that I explained with the tall incline goes up and keeps going past the male dorms. Like the male dorms are carved into the earth too, and you kind of have to go up the hill and then take stairs down to them. And there's this guy there, and he's got a beard and glasses, and he looks like he's maybe 40, longer hair. And he keeps looking down at all of us, and I can tell either that guy doesn't want his experience to be maimed or whatever by knowing us before this all started. Or he's been here before and he knows something we don't know. And we're the ones making a mistake. But we all mingle, get to know each other. There's 20 guys. Maybe I met 7 or 8 of them before this all started. Everybody shows up. Okay? And um, there was this monk from Nepal who was with us. And I was in the middle of cracking a joke to him when the bell rang and the bell rang and called us all into the meditation hall where it all started. The monk by rule has to go in first. So I didn't get to crack the end of that joke for 11 days. And that was like the first thing I did when I could talk again. Um, but yeah, so then we started, started meditating every single day and. It was such a transformational experience, Um, but also kind of weird. I remember, I'll just give you the breakdown of the schedule that we're on while we're there. So every day this bell goes off at 4 a.m. It's the same bell that um, ends the meditation or begins it and the bell goes off at 4 30 you have 30 minutes to take a shower do whatever you want keep sleeping um, the kitchen's not open yet um, but you have 30 minutes to get to the meditation hall now from 4:30 to 6:30, you meditate air quotes on your own if you're not feeling it that day no one's gonna be upset with you if you go back to your room and tell them Air quotes again, I'm gonna go meditate on my bed. You can do that. Um, the guy whose bunk was next to me never did that. He was like a six foot four Russian guy who's like eighteen or nineteen. He looked just like Jesus of Nazareth. I referred to him in my mind, which over ten days you start to do, um, as a Russian Jesus. He looked just like it. Russian Jesus meditated like a stone sculpture. This guy never moved once. Um, And my meditation spot was on the far left of the meditation hall, right behind the pedestal that the monk meditates on. So the monk, there's two monks, a girl monk and a guy monk. Their heads are both shaved. They both wear the same thing. And the boy monk sits right in front of me. And uh, he, uh, yeah, his chair is kind of like at nose level for me, like three or four feet in front of me. And um, we're meditating, mind you, in complete silence. If you've ever been to one of these places, you'll know. After people eat meals, they burp, and uh, they they pass all kinds of gas, right, in the hall, and people laugh, and we're all looking at each other, but you're not supposed to. It's funny. And um, there's all these little awkward things that go on where you need to communicate with somebody, but you can't. Um similar to Middlebury, if you've ever been to the language program, you're trying to explain something to somebody with no language um, that you have. And it's kind of hard to explain, nothing you can do about it. And really similar to Middlebury at the end of this 10 days, you realize you don't need to communicate that much with anybody at all. And you can even get by without communicating at all with anybody at all ever, which is cool. Nice way to start 2020 A little bit of practice, right? don't communicate with anybody. And uh, yeah, at 6.30 another bell goes off, and that's for breakfast. Breakfast is the best meal of the day, I'm telling you. You take five precepts before you go. These are Buddhist precepts, but it's not a Buddhist thing. Becoming a Buddhist, I guess, is more about practice and less about religion. I don't know anything about what it means to be an actual Buddhist, but this is a Buddhist thing, but you don't have to be Buddhist. and um but one thing that they do is you don't eat meat because you have these five precepts what are they the first um don't kill anything no uh, sexual misconduct no lying don't you should not tell untruths you should not take what is not given and i always blank on the fifth one uh It'll come to me. Anyway, so you take these five precepts, you don't eat any meat. Breakfast is wonderful. Every day I had like a peanut butter on toast. You get one fruit. I had a banana or an apple or an orange or whatever they had that day, some tea. Um, and your your tables are facing to where you you just look like at the wall or you look at the back of someone's head. I looked at the back of the Russian guy's head the whole time. And you have your own bowl, you have your own cup. After you eat, you go out and you wash your bowl, you wash your cup, you put it back on your place, and then you go walk or do whatever you want. And from 6.30 to 8 is breakfast and then it's free time. So I would always go and do a little bit of walking. Some people would do a little bit of sleeping. You can do whatever you want. Now, mind you, again, there's no pen, there's no paper. You can't pick up a book and read it. Obviously, you can't pull out your phone. Um, You can't write anything down. So you're really just kind of left to your own devices. People are just walking around this place as if they are like sentenced to death or something. It looks kind of funny. People are all dressed all – again, people are dressed in all white. We look like prisoners walking up this mountain. I can't stop thinking about the prison the whole time. But you kind of realize that you're a prisoner yourself always in your own mind, which is kind of cool. Um, And then from 8 to 9, go back into the room. The bell rings again. And you have an hour of unbroken meditation, which the first time is really hard. The second time is really hard. Every single time is really hard. And I don't even know since I've left if I've done a full hour. I think I've only done it once since then. But the group aspect of it is really helpful here. And um, quickly running through the schedule. And then getting into the details from eight to nine, you have meditation, five minute break, everybody walks around like prisoners again, nine oh five, you walk back in nine to 11, you have two hours of more freestyle meditation, you can go and meditate on your bed if you want sleep. Um, 11 to one is lunch, so you eat, and then I would always take a nap here, maybe an hour and a half or an hour or something. And then um, 1 to 2.30 is this thing called discourse, okay? So we have to get into this before we move on, but the guy who runs this camp is a guy called S.N. Goinka. And S.N. Goinka is not breathing anymore. He um, has kind of immortalized himself in this Vipassana program by recording himself on one retreat and then using the recordings of those discourses to talk to you through um, the meditations in the afternoons telling you different techniques and kind of coaching you over the course of this 10 days um, through two different techniques. One is called Anapana meditation, which is focusing on your breathing. And the other one is called Vipassana meditation, which focuses on the sensations on your body. And in the afternoons, he teaches you more about these meditation techniques. As you progress, you do more of them and the meditation becomes more intense. And um, in the evenings, they have these hour-long talks where he and you, if you watch the English one, it's a video of him, which is really nice to put a uh, face yeah. on the guy who's talking, a really nice guy, um, talking to you about meditation, talking to you about morality, um, and talking to you with you about the benefits of practice and like the tips and tricks and all this other kind of stuff about how important it is to keep the practice up. And he's a really fun guy, same name's SN Goenka, you can look him up on YouTube, really great guy. Anyway, so 1 to 2.30, if I'm remembering correctly, is a thing like that, or maybe it's 1 to 2, is like that. And then from 2 to 3, yep, that's what it is. From 1 to 2, it's a freestyle with instruction. So it's group meditation with instruction. And then from 2 to 3, it's another one of those unbroken meditations for an hour. where No one's talking. You're really encouraged not to move or not to get up, uh, not to walk around. And you meditate again hard for an hour. Then from 3 to 5, there's more teaching. And some days it's teaching, some days it's freestyle meditation. 5 o'clock you have tea. Now if you're an old student, if this is the time you came back, like that Russian guy with the beard. I later found out he was Russian. There's two Russians, three Russians actually. The guy with the beard that was watching everybody turned out to be a Russian. The whole time I thought he was like a staff accountant for EY in like Nebraska or something. And I think he was wearing sandals. I always thought you build up all these ideas about who these people are in your mind. Which is fun and weird how the mind works. But anyway, so I see this guy and he doesn't eat anything at these these, uh, tea sessions at five. I'm allowed to have a piece of fruit. Because I'm a new student, but at this place you find out who were the old students. They always sit in the front, and they're allowed to eat at five o'clock. And you're like looking at them the whole time, thinking to yourself, "Why would anybody at all come to do this twice? Like this sucks." Um, but it didn't suck. It was one of the best experiences I think I've ever had, and that all the other guys there probably thought too. Um, but, I mean, in the moment, I was thinking to myself, when is this going to be over? Oh, my God. Opening up my eyes. ah, oh, I'm so tired of this. Why would anybody do this twice? And seeing them not be able to eat, which turned out to be really not a big deal. Like, I remember asking my buddy about this before I went. Like, yo, you only get two meals a day. How did you not lose a bunch of weight? And he says, well, you're meditating all day. You don't even not doing anything else and quickly here from one to two I would always give myself a period of time after the teaching was over not even to think about the teaching at all from about 1 to 2 I would always give myself 30 minutes to think through all of the things that could have happened between the time that I had gotten there and the time that had that I was sitting there thinking about what could have possibly happened between China—I mean, excuse me, Iran—and the United States up to that point. And I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, I know the United States shot that missile down or shot that plane down, but it was like two in the morning, so the president couldn't have even responded. So there's no way that I can know if if the United States did it or not. Um, are we fully at war already by now? What could possibly be going on?" I was thinking these things through in my head about what the world was going to look like when I got out. And this is like January 8th to January 20th, 2020. Somebody was coughing inside of that place, and we had no idea about coronavirus at this point. Um, which scared me after the fact, but we were all fine. Anyway. After this tea break that we have, it's 6, it's over. Six like 6.30 maybe it's over. I think maybe just 5 to 6. Um, then from 6 to 7, we um, maybe have another meditation session. Yeah, we do. 6 to 7 is another meditation. I think it might be a determination meditation. You might have to sit there for an hour. I think it is. Get yourself all ready for that at dinner, tea or whatever you call it, five o'clock. And then you go to the meditation hall, it's the mini meditation hall, and they pull up this video, they break up the students who speak Cantonese, they break up the students who speak English. Again, all the instructions are given once in English and then given another time in Cantonese. So you kind of remember how to say some of the Cantonese words, it sounds really cool. If you've never heard Cantonese, look up a video. It's super cool to listen to. They would always say things like, uh, like when they're saying, he would always start out, he'd say, Start again. Start again. Start with a calm and collected mind. Cool and equanimous mind. <laughs> the, the the Cantonese would always say something like uh, however they say in Cantonese Shinzai whatever they say. Then they'd say every time Yi Jing Ping Jing I'll never forget it. Anyway, so they break up the English speakers and the Cantonese speakers. we go to different rooms. We had a video, I guess they didn't, which must have sounded really ominous. Um, Just hearing this voice talking to you for an hour. I don't know if they closed their eyes, but you're allowed to sit on the ground in not a meditation fashion, but you can't have your feet facing the front. Um, You can move around all you want. You can sit there however you want, um, but you're sitting on the ground listening to this guy talk. And from the first day all the way to the 10th day, he's kind of coaching you through. He's like, congratulations, you made it through the first day. Congratulations, you made it the second day. And then he tells you these really awesome stories about his life, um, about things that he knew. And one of the days, he tells a story about how he was going to quit. His first ever retreat, he was going to quit. He was like an industrialist. He made a whole bunch of money. He went to this Vipassana retreat. He was sweating Bullets sweating like a pig. He hated the place Um, And he said that some woman Told him not to quit and I was like what? That's like a violation of two rules, right? Like you can't talk to anybody, but obviously you can't talk to any women and um, That very night and he, he thanked the woman and he said oh my gosh I cannot believe you know what my life would have been like if she hadn't told me to stay and that Hong Kong kid was packing up his stuff I remember thinking to myself oh my god now's my chance I'm gonna be that lady for this guy I tell him don't quit don't quit stay a whole day he ends up staying the rest of the night but his sleep schedule was so messed up I remember waking up in my cot and looking and he's in his cot standing up next to his cot looking at me this death stare and I was like oh my god I should have never told that guy to stay And the next day he was gone I hope that guy's doing fine um yeah, so then after the discourse every night, there is a um, 30 minute session again, where you go back to the big meditation hall, you hear some more instructions, and then you can meditate for about the 30 best minutes that you have every day, because you're you're pumped up on all these um, moral kind of stories that you get from the teacher, you're thinking to yourself about how great this is. and You can meditate for like 30 minutes unbroken. You feel like you could meditate for like 10 years. Wonderful. And that's the daily schedule. So you do that for 10 days. And the first three or four days, you're thinking to yourself, all right, um, going through your mind of all the conversations that you've had from the days before. And you're thinking about all the people that you might have hurt, or all of the people um, that you might have said something to that you wish you could take back. Um, You're thinking of all the things that you've done in your life that's good, all the things you've done in your life that are bad. Um, You're thinking about all these things, you're weighing them, you're thinking about what you had, what your last meal was, you're thinking about all these things. But like the third or fourth day that you're there, that is all gone. And you you get to this state where you're just going in and sitting down and going through the motions every single day with nothing inside you at all. Nothing. And it's so empty. You go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and I'm just frantically reading these shampoo bottles. And I can recall like with photographic memory, what I dreamt the night before, because I'm literally just there's no inputs at all. My eyes are closed all day. I'm just sitting down going through the sensations on my body all day doing these body scans. And pretty much what you're doing is you start out with thinking about your nose, right? Thinking about just like uh, maybe even close your eyes right now if you want to. And just think about your nose. I'm closing my eyes now too. Maybe you can also. And you think about your nose as it starts, you can even touch it if you want, where your unibrow would be, okay? So from your unibrow all the way down the crown of your nose down to where your lip is at, and then your two nostrils, and then going back inside your nose, Okay, on the outside where the skin is at, and then back on the inside where the skin is at, inside your nose, your nose, hairs, inside back into your nasal cavity. Just think about your nose for a second. Stop, don't touch it, and then think about, feel the sensations that are on it. I'll give you a couple seconds. And you breathe a little bit. You realize if you're congested at all, you can see like... Um, if you're breathing in through your right nostril, your left nostril. Um, And then one thing that I thought was so cool, right? If you take take a breath in, and then you take a breath out, and after a while, you can realize that the breath on the way out is hotter than the breath was on the way in, and that your body has actually heated it up and you can shoot it out. And on the top of your lip, you can actually feel that my professor wasn't kidding for the first three days you're actually sitting there talking to yourself in your own head saying oh yeah look there my nose is itching don't touch it don't touch it okay oh, now it's gone oh look my nose is itching again no oh, no look it feels like a vibrating. oh yeah, it feels good nothing 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 oh there's the inside of my nose oh I can feel the breath oh this and that and you watch the breath as it goes naturally in naturally out and then over the course of a few days, um, they teach you actual Vipassana, which is why you're there. And that is like a complex system, not a complex, simple system of body scans. So similar to the way that your nose works, you do that with your entire body from head to toe really methodically. After focusing on something really small like your nose, you go to a small point on your head, part by part, piece by piece, all over your head, then all over your So you do your scalp, right? Then your face, nose, eyes, cheeks, ears, throat. And then I go down. Everybody has one. It can be different for everybody. You do your shoulders at the same time, biceps, inner biceps, elbows, inner elbows, forearms, both sides, hands, inside of your fingers, palms of your hands, fingernails. And then you do your um, chest your pecs down to your abs, all the way down into your pelvis, back up again, your back, your the top of your back, the middle of your back, the side of your back, all the way down where it hurts because when you're sitting, it hurts, <clears throat> down in your spine, back into your butt. And then after you've done that, it usually took me about seven or eight minutes to get to that point. Then you go to your legs, where your body meets the seat. Okay, both of your legs on the underside, down to your knees, back up again on the sides, the top of your legs, your knees, under your knees, um, on the sides of your knees, tops of your legs, your calf, down to your feet, fingernails or toenails, um, under your feet, and then back up from the tips of your feet all the way back up again, that same way to your head. And that takes about 15 minutes. Do that five or six times and you're done with the hour. And I would always, always, always give myself some time to put that aside, not think about the meditation, not think about the breath, not think about um, the sensations. And think about what was going on with Iran. I mean, Qasem Soleimani is killed, right, right before I go to this place. Um. And then everybody's talking about it while we're in Beijing during that period of time, that one week that I was in Beijing. I come here to Hong Kong. Right in my last five minutes of having Wi-Fi, I see a video from an Iranian guy of the plane going down. I don't know how it was nighttime, both in the United States and in Iran at this time, but I think it was. I think it was like two a.m. in Iran at this point. So it was like at eleven o'clock at night or in the morning at Hong Kong. So you can check the uh, the clocks. I don't know how that works, but I saw the plane go down, and I thought to myself, "Oh my gosh, we must be in a state of war." And the seventh, eighth, ninth day came. The ninth day, then the tenth day came. And on the 10th day, we were allowed to speak, but we weren't allowed to leave. We stay for 11 days. We catch up with all the rest of the guys. And people are telling me stories about their lives that are in complete contradiction with what I thought they were about, right? Um one of the guys who I thought was a hippie turned out to have been a sniper in the Israeli Ar- army who, who came to Israel from Russia and then has kind of like traveled around the world as a backpacker. Another guy was a consultant at McKinsey. Another guy, like I said, wasn't the Hong Kong cop with tattoos, but an investment banker from Oxford living in Shanghai. Um, the, the guy walking around who I thought was a staff accountant in Illinois turned out to be a Russian um, lawyer. From London, really funny guy, and I kind of learned, like, wow. First off, you, 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 we all live in our heads, anyways, but when you're silent for 10 days, you really realize that you're always in your head and you're always speaking to yourself, and it's up to you. Um, what you want to make that conversation about, right? It can be kind of getting down on yourself. It can be getting up on yourself. It can be thinking through things. Um, it can be thinking about nothing, which is sometimes the best thing to do. And that's that's why I think meditation is so beneficial. Um, but it really does bring you back to earth. And, and one of my favorite things that they teach you, and it's, very, it's the last part of the program. On the very last day, the day that you can all speak, everybody's happy. Is say no meditating anymore, but come back in here, sit down. We're gonna try this one thing, and um, the recording comes back on and it tells you about this thing called Medivarna meditation. I might be butchering that name. I hope I am. It's called Medivarna, and pretty much what you do is you finish out your hour-long meditation. The um, the program recommends that Vipassana meditators go home and meditate for an hour in the morning and an hour at night every night. Um, My friend had told me that his schedule works out where he meditates um, as as, as much as he can, but he he always does it twice a day. My professor told me he does it every day for 20 minutes. The first thing he does is wakes up, goes to the bathroom, drinks a whole cup of water, sits down and meditates for 20 minutes. That's how he starts his day. Um, My other friend told me that he does it, um, like I said, as much as he can, um, but if it's just 10 minutes, then that's fine. Um, He tries to push himself to do an hour, and sometimes he does. But he says an hour. Sometimes he says, I think to use his words, he says it's ridiculous to ask. I try to do it myself. I always tell my A-L-E-X-A to uh, cancel the timer. I always uh, feel defeated when I do that, that's fine. And you really do learn a lot about yourself. And I think that the advice that my friend gave me was really good that if I wanted to do it, I should and I should seek it out. These places are all over the country in the United States or all over the world. Just look it up VIPASSANA, I think Vipassana, and it'll take you to this website called dhamma.org um, and you can sign up for one of these ten-day retreats. It's free. I gave them a hundred bucks as a donation at the end. Um, there were people who didn't give donations. You don't have to, um, but it is completely free. And some people say it might sound like a cult. It's not. You don't have to join anything. I didn't join any religion while I was there. Good deal. Um, But you do learn a lot about yourself. And I think that it was one of the – it was such a great gift for 2020. But I'll never forget what it was like when I got my phone back. So they give you your phone back. You have everything. Um, Some guy lets me bum his Wi-Fi, uh, his personal hotspot. I turn on the BBC News. I text all my friends and family. Hey, I'm back. Look, guys, I'm fine. Oh, that's great. And I checked the BBC News. The top story, which I expected to be some update about the war with Iran, turned out to be Prince Harry drops his royal title. I was dumbfounded. And I was honestly – I shouldn't – I felt – Kind of let down that there wasn't a war and then i thought to myself why would i want a war and i knew that i didn't want one i just felt like i was excited but i'll never forget i looked down and right under prince harry drops his royal title they said mysterious virus found in wuhan and i didn't think anything of it i put my phone down um continued talking with the guys and everybody said hey we're all cleaning up after this we're gonna go and eat dim sum i thought i might be a full-blown vegetarian after this, but uh, I ate meat really quickly. We went and had some dim sum. Really good. The investment banker guy picked up the meal. And then we all kind of scattered parted ways. I bought some phone service with the uh, McKinsey consultant guy, and he was going to see a friend in Shenzhen across the border. I was in this really awesome, calm state of mind, and I decided to go with him. That day, we learned Metavarna. Let me Come back in off this tangent. Tell you what it is. So metavarna, you sit down, okay, and uh, you only do it for about five minutes at the end of a meditation. And the guy goes, "May all beings be happy. May all beings share my peace." And he kind of like it sounds kind of cheesy, but the birds are outside chirping. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, I really feel like I'm at peace. I feel like I can kind of shoot that out to the world and show everybody. And I shouldn't hurt anything myself, I should try not to hurt anything. But also, he alludes to this, and you can kind of feel it that there's some type of power with positive energy. And that if you sit down and and create this positive energy within yourself, That is your contribution to mankind, i.e. if you want to change everybody. And at so many different points during this program, you might be thinking to yourself, and you do, and and the teacher addresses it in the the nightly discourses, that this meditation thing would work so well for my friends. I know people who would benefit from this so much. I got to tell them. My parents got to do this. My best friend has to do this. I know everybody who has to do this. And the day that I'm thinking about it, the teacher brings it up. He says, hey, man, you might be thinking that everybody that you know should listen to this or should do this or should try this. But think about it this way. You doing it does it for them. You fostering peace with inside yourself can become a beacon of peace and of hope for everybody else and that world peace really does start with you and i thought to myself man maybe because i was here meditating we didn't go to war with iran if you're thinking about going to one of these places shoot me a text shoot me an email let me know you should really try it out thanks for tuning in peace out